the quiet uh, forest dweller up in the above the Australian village along the eastern slopes of the Alps, this old gentleman had been hired many years ago by the town council because the, the, the town council knew that their, their city was being affected by what was going up in, going on in the mountains. And so he was hired to clear debris, debris of, of things that were plugging up the pools of water in a mountain and the crevices that fed the lovely spring that went through their town. With faithful and silent regularity, regularity the old gentleman would make sure the stream stays clear, make sure the, picture, the, the sticks are picked up, make sure that the, the leaves were all being picked up and removed all that. And little by little, then this village started to thrive as their water system got cleaned up. And little by little, uh, attra- started attracting vacationers. And little by little, uh, the swans started to flow along the crystal springs that were running through the town and going through the river. And little by little, uh, businesses started to locate and farmland started to grow and natural irrigation was taking place and restaurants were coming with views that were absolutely beautiful, all because of what was happening up in the mountains because this older gentleman was hired by the town to say, you keep it clean up in your area so that our area will be pleasant and will be clean and great things will be happening. Years passed and the city was thriving. As years passed and passed, people forgot what was happening up in the mountains. They just knew, hey, we have clean water. Hey, we have swans around here. Hey, we have beautiful things going on. Our our city's thriving. But at one evening, a town council met for its semi-annual meeting and they were looking at the budget. And as you reviewed the budget, one man... Uh, caught the salary figure being paid to this obscure keeper of the spring. Why, why are we paying a keeper of the spring? What is going on with that? And so people started discussing that, and the question to ask, well, who is this old man? Why do we keep him on, on year after year? No one sees him. For all we know, he's a str- strange ranger on the hills doing no good. He isn't necessary any longer. And so by unanimous vote, they dispense the old man's services and quit paying him. And for several weeks, nothing changed, but early autumn started to come, and the leaves started to fall, and branches started to fall, and snapped off and fell into pools, hindering the rushing flow of the sparkling water. And one afternoon, someone noticed the slight yellowish-brown tint to the spring. A couple days later, the water was much darker, and with a week, a slimy film covered sections of the water along the banks, so the, and a foul odor was soon being detected. The mill wheels were moving slower. Some finally... Um, ground, ground hall and swans left and the tourists were saying, we're not coming around here anymore as this went on for some time and clammy fingers of disease and sickness reached deeply into the village and quickly the embarrassed council called a special meeting and said, we changed something. Why did we change this? What's happening to our city? Realizing their gross error in judgment, they, hiked, they hired back the old keeper of the spring. Within a few weeks, the river began to clear up and the wheels started to turn again. New life was starting to come through that city there in the Alps. See, this story is more than an idle tale. It carries with it a vivid analogy directly related to the times in which we live today. What the keeper of the springs meant to the Swiss village, I think Christians mean to the world today. What would this world be like I think sometimes we, the church, as Christians, we see what's happening in our world and we see the stats are going on. Sometimes we may seem fable or we seem like we're needless or unimportant, unimportant, but sometimes small, the vast world. But God help any society that attempts to live in a world without Christians. 
But sometimes I think the world is saying, you're not needed. You're not important. What role do you really play? Let's just cast them aside. See, we are Christ's ambassadors, and we have a significant assignment of influencing and impacting our world, not unlike the old gentleman in the Alps. We have a very important role to play. This is just what we've been talking about over the last six weeks, talking about our mission of helping people find and follow Jesus. And so we've been fine-tuning that. We've been uh, getting focused on that and going, what does that look like for us as a church, and what's it going to look like the next two or three or four years? We've been diving into the vision, which is a kind of a four-step process or four action steps that we want to live out as a church Number one is we want to connect people to Christ. That we take that so seriously, the call that is in Matthew 28 where Jesus said, go into all the world, preach, teach, baptize, make disciples. That we'll get real serious about that and we will look for people and we'll be purposeful in prayer looking for people who don't know Christ and start praying for them and loving them and caring for them and helping them connect with Christ. But we don't want to do that and just leave them there because the scripture calls us to make disciples, which means that we're going to help them center their life on Christ. That we're going to help them live 24 hours a day, seven days a week, Christ at the center, so that all of our decisions, all of our steps we take in life, we're doing that with the help and the guidance of Jesus himself. Last week, we talked about when you're doing that, then you've got to start asking the question, what's my purpose? What's my call? We've got to discover our call in Christ and help other people discover their call. And then we go live out that call, whatever that call may be, wherever God says, this is what you're to do, then we need to go do that. And today, I want to talk about this idea that we change the world through Christ. And when we're doing this well, when we're helping people connect and center and discover their call, then changing the world through Christ becomes just a very natural outflow that we're saying, we got to make a difference, just as the old gentleman that's in the top of the mountain who was changing the city because he was doing his job. Today, I want to look at that. See, Jesus called his followers to be a frontline militia. Nowhere do we get the impression that Jesus wanted us to live in isolation, separated from the world. We're to be in the world, but not of the world. It's impossible to live, truly live, for the kingdom of God in private. People say, well, I do my Jesus thing on my own. I participate and do life with Jesus all by myself. That is not part of the gospel. That's not part of his kingdom. It's impossible to live, to truly live for God and do that in private. We're called to to a social agenda and an outward expression of God's principles. We're called to impact the world through Jesus Christ. We're called to make a difference by influencing and impacting our world around us. We're called to make change as you study the whole of the gospel Dr. E. Stanley Jones, a famous Methodist missionary, graduate of Asbury University, and author of evangelist, was asked to name the number one problem of the church. And he replied quickly that the number one problem was irrelevance. He wanted to say that three-fourths of the opposition to the church stems from disappointment, and we promise to make men and women different, but he said the promise largely goes unfulfilled. Dr. Jones went on to tell the story of a multimillionaire who said, if Brother Stanley cannot convert me, then I'll sue him. He said it half in jest and 
kind of half in truth. And Dr. Jones said that this is the truth and what the world is saying to us. If you Christians cannot convert us, we'll sue you for breach of promise. You promised this, now fulfill it. Show us that you can and will convert us. There is hope for any, from any other direction. Interesting thing is Dr. Jones made this statement in the 1960s. And I'm sure what Dr. Jones said is truer today than it was when he first said it. See, the number one problem with our church in America is that we're becoming irrelevant to our society. People don't want to hear what we have to say. They don't really care. Put simply, the church has lost its influence in the community. Years ago, our governments would look to the church and say, what do you think on this issue? What do you think about this issue? Now, they don't care about what we think on certain issues. There are many reasons why this is so, but one reason stands out above the rest. The church has lost its influence because Christians have neglected their responsibility to be salt in the world, to to be light in the world. As we have neglected to do what God has called us to do, then the world has decided to ignore us and say, why would we listen to the church any longer? And the flip side of that is true. If When Christians decide to be salt and light, the world pays close attention to what we do and what we say. But when we're not, then they don't want to listen to it. See, when we are salt and light, the world listens. When we're not salt and light, they don't care about what we have to say. Eugene Peterson's paraphrase in the New Testament, the message, explains our position of salt and light in the following fashion. I love how he worded this, what is a very familiar passage to many of us. Christ's followers. He said, let me tell you why you are here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. Be opening up to others. You'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Now, those words are spoken just after Jesus preached the Beatitudes, which essentially are the interior character qualities that rolls us right into how to live this out as he preached to the crowd there about the the disciples in the mixed crowd, said, here's how to live your life from the Beatitude perspective. And he goes in and says, now you be salt and light. I just told you how to do it. He uses two metaphors. Salt and light, which are essentially exterior change agents and qualities. These two descriptive terms inform us who live the Beatitudes on the position and relate to its influence of how we impact our world. The impact of these words on society is not like the the involvement of the keeper of the spring of the Swiss village. When we do this, then change takes place. Why did Jesus commission us to be salt and light? I mean, salt and light's kind of strange, really. You go out and be a piece of table salt. You go out and be a candle. You go out and be a flash. It's kind of weird. Why, why do you not appeal to our pride? I mean, he could have motivated us by saying, you're the eagle's wings to the world. I mean, he'd be like, oh, man, we get to make the world move. Or, or he could have said, you're the lions of the world, or you're the stars of the world. Now go live out a star. But he said, no, you're a, some salt, and you're a flicker of light. Go be that. Go live that out. Jesus says, that's what I want you to do. Why? Understanding why Jesus uses these terms reveals the substance of our influence. 
I mean, you just think for a minute. We just want to do a little bit of understanding of that term of salt and light. What do they do? I think the reasons Jesus chose these two metaphors, salt and light, is because they're unique qualities. Both carry enormous influence. Both have immediate impact. Both are noticed instantly. Both are difficult to veil. And both are everywhere around us. And he says, Here, here's two items that I'm going to compare the church, Christians, Christ followers to and what we should be. Let's talk about salt for a moment. He says, you are the salt of the earth. It's so famous that it's become a proverb in the English language. If someone is genuine or useful or honest or straightforward and without hypocrisy, we say that he or she is a salt of the earth type person. It's kind of spoken in our language. What did Jesus mean? See, salt was one of the most common substances in the ancient world. Roman soldiers... This blew me away. Roman soldiers were paid in salt and would revolt if they didn't get their ration. Do you imagine your boss walks up and say, hey, here's 10 packets of salt this week. You'd be like, what are you doing? But that's how they were paid because it was so important in that Roman time. Indeed, our English word salary comes from the Latin salarium, which literally means salt money. That's how they were paid. Here you go. Go take care of your family. Go take care of your food. You need some salt. And our expression that man is not worth his salt is a reminder of the high value that salt had in biblical times. So the next time you say that to somebody, he or she is worth their salt, you know, you're, wow, they're, they're worth getting paid. They're worth something of importance. But what are the uses of salt? I mean, we know this kind of thing, but stop and think about it. First of all, it's a preservative. In the ancient world, the primary function of salt was a preservative. It, it retarded spoilage, kept spoilage from coming on. Likewise, believers act like the preservatives in the world. We're supposed to keep spoilage or keep things away that are not of God. As we bring Christ's world and the kingdom's influence into our society, we help protect it from the full sway of evil that otherwise would be present. We try to preserve what God has made. Imagine our land with no churches. Think about it for a second. Imagine our land with no Christian churches. Imagine no Christian colleges training ministers and missionaries that go out to all the world. Imagine no church-supported hospitals. Eliminate Central Baptist. Eliminate St. Joe. Get rid of all of them. And everybody has to go to UK. That's it. Because we want to have the hospitals that we have in our society today. Imagine no social, Christian social action groups. We'll get rid of most of our homeless centers in town. Get rid of most of our clothing banks in town. Just close them all up. That's what would happen. Imagine no Christian organization ministering to those who are in need. We are to be preservatives. We're salt. Salt also gives flavoring or seasoning. In a similar fashion, Christianity brings spice or zest to life. I mean, you sit down, we could do a survey. Let me just, let me just I'm just kind of curious, just for fun. How many in this room, when someone serves you a meal and you have it on your plate, how many people in this room, be honest now, how many people salt your food before you taste it? Keep your hand up high. Okay, you guys are never coming to my house. <laughs> it's one of my pet peeves. I'm like, kids, taste the food first. But we do, we, we like salt, so we have some, not put some salt on it. Cooking some burgers in the grill, got to have some salt on it. We, we typically want some salt. Uh, uh, potato chips. I grew up with an uncle who had heart issues, and he was not allowed to have salted potato chips. They were disgusting. I'm like, you got to have some salt on these, Uncle Fred. He's like, nope, not for my heart. 
But salt seasons things, flavors things. The Christian is the personification of how we're to live. We should be able to season our culture and go, that's how life is supposed to be lived. It's an antiseptic. In ancient times, newborn babies were rubbed in salt so that the cuts and infections of medicinally primitive birth methods could be healed. Now, that sounds like that's pretty mean and cruel. Well, you take a baby and rub it in salt with the wounds that are open. Does it hurt? Yeah, it hurt. But it also fought infection, kept the baby from getting worse. And Christians have a responsibility not only pointing out sin, but practically offering healing help. That's how we're salt. We bring help into the world. Does it hurt when someone says, you're living this way, this is God's way? Yeah, sometimes it's not fun, but that's what we're supposed to do. We bring salt. We bring healing. By exerting our influence, we can prevent the ravages of disease and death that is caused by sin when we're willing to share that with people and be truthful with people. Salt also creates thirst. It's been said that you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. I've never tried to lead a horse to water. I'm not a horse person at all. But the rest of the saying goes, you can give him a salt tablet and make him thirsty. Do you know there's a second part of that saying? Give him a salt tablet, make him thirsty. He'll go over there and drink, especially, you know, he needs some water. He's going to get dehydrated. Give the horse some salt tablets. You don't have to pull him. You have to tug him. He says, where's the water? I'm going to go there and get it because I need it because he realizes that I am thirsty. See, as Jesus made people thirsty for God the Father, so do Christians make people thirsty for the real life that is only found in Christianity. That's what we're supposed to be doing, that people look at our lives and go, I want what you have. I want my life to be more peaceful like yours. I want my life to have more joy like yours. I want to know how to walk through difficult times and not just have my life destroyed and still be able to walk in faith. So that's light, Let's, or that's salt. Let's think about light for a moment. Because Jesus not only says we're salt of the earth, he also says you're the light of the world. The dictionary defines light as a source of illumination. What does light do? Well, we know it dispels darkness. Turn all these lights out in this room right here, it's dark. We turn them on, what happens? Darkness goes away. Dispels darkness. Christians reflect the, the light of Christ. Bearing the light that dispels spiritual darkness. The progress may be slow. But we're to bring light into dark places in our society or into people's lives so that we can start to dispel the darkness, do away with it. Light also reveals. Have you ever walked in a darkened room and not know what was there? And then suddenly the light switch comes on and all the contents are in a room and revealed? You kind of be like, okay, do I take any more steps? Hold on, let's get to the light switch. I did that the other day walking through the church building. I went into a room and I was like, I think I know where stuff is at. And I stopped. I went, Someone may have put something around here. I don't know what's left. I turn the light on. It's like, I'm glad I stopped because there was a chair just a couple of feet right in front of me where I thought it would just be an open pathway to buzz through from one side of the building to the other. We all go through those kinds of experience in life. See, as Christ's presence in the world, we become his instruments to reveal truth in darkness. We reveal the truth. Light also awakens. We are to be light of the world. Awakening men and women to the truth of God's kingdom. We know that when we turn light on, it awakens. If you're taking a nap or you're sleeping and the light comes on, many times it'll wake you up. That's what it does in our lives. We're supposed to have be awakened by the ways of Christ. Light also warns. Light is a big warning. See, in the same way that a lighthouse warns of dangerous waters or a police car, you pull up and you see the lights are flashing. What happens when you see lights flashing? We all slow down. 
We start to slow down and wonder what's going on. Sometimes we'll pull over because there's a warning. Something is happening here. And Christians warn of impending danger or of a careless world. And so as light, we're supposed to be people of warning. So understanding salt that Jesus is talking about and understanding the light that Jesus is talking about and what we're told to go do, how do we make an impact or a cause for change in this crazy society? Because we're called to be salt seasoning and light bearers. You say, wait a second. Hold on a minute. You're saying that God means that for me? Absolutely. God meant it for you, meant it for me, meant it that we're to be salt seasoning and light bearers. When Jesus said you, he meant you. He didn't mean your neighbor. He didn't mean your friend down the street. He didn't mean just your Bible study leader. He didn't mean just for the preacher. He didn't mean just for the disciples who were at that time. He meant us. His words were not a suggestion. I don't see anywhere in there where he says, now let me give you an idea to think about of how you could impact this world. He didn't say that. He didn't say, let me give you a suggestion of how you could be effective. He said, you Christ follower, Christian, you who believe in Jesus, go and be salt and light in this world. It wasn't a choice. It wasn't up for debate. It wasn't up for discussion. With urgency in his voice, Jesus says, if you are salt, then be seasoning. If you're light, then shine. And go and do that. And that's how you make a change in this world. How do I do that, you ask? Well, let me give you a couple suggestions. First of all, recognize that your distinctiveness makes a difference. You are salt of the earth. You are light of the world. Do you notice what is absent in this command? The word like or as. He doesn't say you are like salt or you are as light. He says you are. We're commanded to be salt and light and not Just be like salt and light. The common denominator of salt and light is the uniqueness. It's their their distinctiveness. There's nothing quite like salt. You don't say, we need some salt and go pull some pepper off the shelf. Or we need some salt, let's go pull uh, another seasoning off the shelf. No, I need salt. And so you're going to use salt. There's nothing quite like light. You need to light up a space, you're going to grab light. Maybe a candle, maybe a flashlight, maybe a phone light. But if I need light, I need light. There's nothing else that's going to do the job, and so I need light. Just as salt is different than pepper and light is different, distinctive from darkness, so are Christians distinctive from the world. We're supposed to look different. You ever been with a group of people and someone started off to tell an off-color joke? They start telling the joke, and then they look and they see you in a room, and they stop, and they're like, um... I, maybe I need to not tell that joke right now. And sometimes we as Christians, we're like, oh, it's okay, go ahead, because we don't want to be the one in the room that's you know, ruining all the fun. You know, that's a good thing, because your distinctiveness was coming out. People know, you know, that person stands for something different. That, that person has something about them. that I, should, I shouldn't be pulling up that joke. You ever been with a group of people, and they suggest going somewhere that wouldn't, they wouldn't want their children to know about? Hey, let's go over to this strip joint. Hey, let's go down this bar. Let's do this. But then said, oh, we can't do that because why? Because you're with them. You're in that situation. And you're like, ah, why? And you sometimes you kind of, yeah, all right, yeah, I'm sorry. And you should be proud. Yeah, let's not go to that bar. Yeah, let's not go to that strip joint. Yeah, let's not participate in that because if our kids aren't happy, God's probably not going to be happy either. You know what? Your distinctiveness is coming out. 
See, it's a Christian's distinctiveness that makes a world difference. In business, it's called marketing. In advertising, it's called positioning. In basketball, it's called strategy. In Christians, it's called holiness. And we choose to live in holiness by the power of the Spirit that is inside of us. It's the distinguishing feature about us. It is what sets us apart from the rest of the world. And may I suggest, be okay with being holy in an unholy world. Be okay with making choices of holiness that honor God. Blaise Pascal said, the serene beauty of a holy life is the most powerful influence in the world next to the mighty God. When you're choosing holiness, your light is shining, your salt is being seasoning, and it makes an impact on this world. Let me give you another suggestion today of how to do this. Stay close to Christ. Jesus warned his followers, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Perhaps the most important thing about salt is is that in its purest form, it really never loses its taste. Salt will always be salt. It is an extremely stable compound. You can put put it in a dish. You can walk away, come back 10 years later, And you know what? It's still sodium chloride, still salt. The only way salt can lose its saltiness is to be mixed with something else. Think about that for a moment. The only way salt loses its saltiness is to be mixed with something else. See, the point Jesus is making that it is dangerously easy for Christians to become diluted and lose their saltiness, preserving the influence of the world or in the world, because we get mixed with things of this world. Let me pause on that for a moment. There's a lot of things going on in this world that we Christians today have chosen to participate in. Because we're not under law, we're under grace. Well, I can do this. I can go here. I can behave this way. I can say this. But the Apostle Paul said, even though everything may be permissible, not everything's beneficial. And church, I would warn us in today's culture more than ever, we need to look at our lifestyle and we need to say, what am I participating in that quite possibly could be making my salty lifestyle not be so salty? See, when we mix with the world, we look like the world. We mix with the world, then our saltiness is no longer going to be salty. See, if we are not affecting our world, the world is affecting us. If we are not salting the world, then the world is rotting us. What's happening in your life today? See, in order to prevent the world from affecting us, we must stay in close contact with the ultimate influence. That's Christ himself. It's kind of like a glow-in-the-dark item that you have. You pull that glow-and-dark item out of its wrapping, out of its box, and you put it before a light, and it soaks in all the light rays. You take it into darkness, and for a while, it lights up that space. Depending on what kind of item it is, it might be like a glow-and-a-dark stick. You go, wow, they got 10 hours out of that. It might be some little cheap toy that you go, man, that thing got light for five minutes. What happens in order for it to glow again is it has to get back, what, close to the light. Same as Christians. 
If we want to glow in the darkness because we are going to mix with this world, we have to draw close to Christ so that he fills us and so that we, we shine the light of Christ. Because why? Because we walk close with him. We must expose ourselves to Jesus. We must be people who spend time in his word. That we must soak up his rays through prayer. But what happens so many times? Oh, I'm so busy. I'm running here. I'm running there. Well, that television show, man, I, I got to make sure I stay up with that show. Oh, social media, I can't get off of that for a few minutes. I'm going to miss something. How could I dare skip my child's game or their practice? I mean, I can't do that because that, that's all this stuff that I have to do. And then we push God aside. See, a weekly contact produ- produces a weak influence. If your only time with God is what you do here on Sunday, may I say your light is extremely dim. And probably is not influencing a lot in this world. But when you start developing the habits of prayer and Bible study and you get away from the things of the world and weekly worship and being in small groups, you'd be amazed how much your light starts shining and getting brighter. You go, man, I'm having some conversations with people I've never had before in my life. Why are these conversations taking place? What's happening? Because God starts to use you because he says, you're salty and you're a bright, shining light. I can use you in this world. We go into dark places, we shine our light, and then we come back and we got to plug into the Savior. Got to plug into the Savior and plug into him constantly. One more suggestion for us of how to make this salt life thing work in this dark world. Make your works visible. Now, many of us would say, what do you mean? Oh, man, we're, we're private. I can't dare, you know, go out here and do this so that people see because Christianity is a private thing. You know, one of the biggest things, biggest mistakes that has, lies that has been given to us is that never talk about religion and never talk about government. It's a big mistake. So we say, don't talk about religion. That's a private thing. Keep it all to yourself. Don't ever let anybody know about that. And so what happens, we have taught a society now for many, many years that religion should never be talked about. Don't ever talk about Jesus. And so we don't know how to talk about him in a workplace or with our friends. And then we say, oh, don't ever talk about government. Don't ever talk about government. And so what happens is where our society is today, where government is just a big old brawl because we don't have to sit down and have a civil conversation about what is good and what's not good. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. What does that mean? We've got to be visible. Our influence is however small or great will be seen. Salt can be tasted, light can be seen. Great effort has to be made to cover up either of those. His child Robert Louis Stevenson was in very poor health. One night when he was quite sick, the nurse found him with his nose pressed against the frosty pane of his bedroom window. She fussed at him, child, come away from there. You'll catch your death of cold, but young Robert wouldn't budge. He sat mesmerized as he watched an old lamplighter slowly work his way through the black night, lighting each street lamp along his route. He said, see, look there, Robert pointed out the window. There's a man poking hole in the darkness. That's what we're called to do. We poke holes in the darkness. Let's put a little light here. Let's put a little light here. Jesus is calling us to be audio-visual Christians. The Christian seasoning is something to be tasted. The Christian's light is something to be seen. Secret disciples do not exist. It doesn't happen. Either the secrecy destroys the disciple or the disciple is destroyed because of the secrecy. In other words, being a disciple of Jesus is 
Jesus called us to do in Matthew 28, to go out and make disciples, means I'm going to be public with my faith. Our Christianity should be vibrant and it should be visible. Salt in a salt shaker and light under a bushel makes no impact. Christians void of visible deeds and compassion influences no one unless we come out with who we are. See, the sphere of our impact, 23 chapters later in the Gospel of Matthew, and three years later in his ministry, Jesus will be sharing then the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations. Here in this section on the Christian's potential influence, Jesus is laying the foundation for a worldwide challenge of how we change the world. The disciples are to be salt of the earth, be light of the word. And Matthew's gospel is mostly in a Jewish character. And the author's main purpose is to convince the Jews that Jesus is their Messiah. Yet he's making abundantly clear that the witness and the influence of followers of Christ is not restricted to the covenant community, the Jews. See, the sphere of the Christian's influence is a worldwide influence. That's why in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says to be in Judea and Samaria and Jerusalem and the outer ends of the earth. We take this everywhere. We're salt of the earth. We're we'll the light of the world. We're going to go to all the world. Let me share with you, church, about some areas where we're going to be moving as a church to be salty, to be light of the world. We've been on this journey this year asking what's next, where are we going as we turn 15 years old at a church on November 2 and 3, where are we going to go, what ministry, and so we've had a team that's been working and praying, we've done our dream event, we've been sharing, we've done small group gatherings, been listening and trying to say, God, where do you want us to go? And we looked at the life of Christ, you remember back early this year, we looked at the life of Jesus, what did Jesus do? Jesus went into the neighborhood, Jesus went to where people are hurting and struggling, and we said, what can we do? I shared one of these last week with you, but on our ministry fair weekend, we're going to have a, an area out here in the lobby of potential dream ministries, things we're dreaming about that we think God is moving us together as a church. So how do you get all that information? Well, from the dream event, a lot of it was bubbled up. From research we've done around our community, understanding needs, from prayer, from individual conversations, from small group gatherings. We've been trying to say, all right, church, what are we hearing from you? And so the Next Step team, along with the elders, have identified six focus areas that we feel like God's moving us towards. And they're, they're in no certain order, not order priority. It's just the six as I listed them. First of all, areas of addiction. Talked about this last week. We feel like God is telling us, church, it's time to have a, a ministry that helps those who are dealing with addiction. And so on that ministry fair, there's going to be a spot. You say, I'm interested in helping figure out what that looks like and what that's going to be. You'll put your name on there, and there'll be a gathering. Whoever signs up and says, all right, let's start figuring this out together. Because we believe in the priesthood of all believers. So that means the entire church has to work together, and so we work together to figure this out. Another area is basic life needs. Things like clothing and food. We're already doing a lot of food stuff, and we feel like as we understand our society, there's more and more needs. As we help people meet basic life needs, that group of people will come together and say, let's start figuring that out. Mentoring. What we've been hearing is someone says, you know what? As a young married couple, I'd love to have someone can mentor me because I don't know how to do marriage. Or you know what? My finances are all messed up. It'd be great to have someone mentor me on how to be good in, in finances. And, or as a young lady, I want an older lady to mentor me. Or as a young man, I'd like to have an older man mentor me. So develop a mentoring relationships within our church. And some of you are gifted in that. And you go, you know what? I could see me being involved with that and mentoring a few people. 
the development of godly men, which means we need a strong men's ministry. We have uh, had the ups and the flows of men's ministry around Center Point. But I got to just be truthful, it's never been great. It's never been, been rocking strong. It just hasn't. And what we're hearing from the men is, we got to have a men's ministry. we got to do something. We're also hearing that from some women. My husband needs some help. Can you kick him? We need a strong men's ministry. Child care needs. So what does that look like? Does that mean we're going to start a child care center? Maybe. Someday down the road. But we're hearing from single moms who say, you know what, it's really hard for me to go and do this or that, and I, need, I could use some help with child care. We're hearing from uh, the need for after-school programs when mom and dad are both working. What am I going to do with my children, especially on this side of town? We're hearing from uh, ideas like a Mom's Day Out program, all kinds of different things where we say, you know what, we're going to help families and how do we take care of child care needs. So again, a group of people who have that interest gather around that idea and start dreaming and praying and thinking and help organize it. And then the sixth area is something with young adults. And uh, we call it young adults versus just college age because some young adults take off and go to college and some don't go to college. But we now have enough ministry that's happening that each year we're going to have some kids that are graduating. They're going to become 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 years old, and we don't want them to come in the church and be here until they're 18 and then say, see, adios. And that's happening across this country where there's a drove of people that leave in their college, young adult age. And so we want to gather some people around that focus area. Those are six areas that we feel like God is directing us to, and some of those could possibly get started in 2020. Some say, you know what, we're going to have to spend a year just planning and thinking and praying and researching and figuring out what that looks like, and it may start in 2021. Some may say, you know what, it's going to take a little bit longer than that. We'll start in 2022. But we feel like these are six areas of God's saying over the next two or three years, you need to focus in. These are all areas that take us into the community care about our community just the way Jesus did, to bring light, to poke holes in the darkness. So what's next on a journey? I want to ask you to seek God in prayer. We've been talking about that. Start praying, God, move me. God, help me say yes. God, help me overcome any kind of excuses so I'll know my area. Know your gifts. Know your gifts. Early in the year, I encourage you to go to our website, and they're going to put that up and do a gifts assessment to know what are my spiritual gifts. How did God put me together? And you can go right there and you can do that. Now, many of you did that early in the year, and you may say, well, I I don't remember what that was like. I lost my results or whatever. Maybe you tried it, and you're like, I struggle with it. I need some help. Here's what I ask you to do. If you have questions or you need help with it, then I want to have you send an email to office at mycpoint.com. Or if you lost your results, I mean, I know I did that early in the year, I lost my results. Can you send them to me again? We can pull them up, we can send them to you. It's very good to do this prior to the ministry fair that's coming. You want to do that. And if you haven't done it, go there and just know your gifts. You you take that and it kind of knows your personality as you answer the different questions and helps you to size up, where would I maybe be serving at? Where is my call? That's part of discovering your call. And then when I ask you to attend the ministry fair, November 3, you've been hearing about this. On that Sunday morning, this building is going to be kind of transferred from that side of the building over. We have about 20 different ministries that are currently functioning, and then these six new ministries, and you're going to have time to go around and meet the leaders, meet some people involved in them, ask questions and say, oh, you, you do the, um, the building ministry. Well, what's involved with that? What kind of stuff have you guys been doing? What I fit in here? Oh, you, you head up the worship team. And I play uh, an instrument. Well, what does that look like? What's involved with that? What's the commitment level? You can have those kind of discussions with them. And our prayer is as you go through, you'll pick one 
go pick one ministry and say, I'm going to plug in. I'm going to start getting involved. And I would advise you to probably not try to pick more than one. Some will say, well, I'll do two or three, and then you start running too crazy. And so there's an area for you to plug in. Why you say, why, why don't you plug in? What's the mission? We help people what? We help people what? Find and follow Jesus. If we're going to do that at a greater impact, then we need greater involvement. We need people jumping on board. We need people who say, you know what, I'm going to know my gift. I'm going to, I'm going to do what God has called me to do. See, God has called us to influence our world. Maybe the old keeper of the spring was not seen very much, but his role meant survival to the village Alps. Likewise, our role as salt seasoning and light bearing means survival to this planet. And as Christians, we can't give up. We have to keep fighting. We have to keep looking to take ground back from the evil. We aren't called to save the world, but we're called to make a difference. We can't do everything, but we surely can do something. And what we can do, we ought to do. And that's being salt and that's being light in this world. So church, I want to ask you, begin praying. Next week we have one more message in this series and then we launch into our ministry fair on November 2 and 3. God has great plans for us. And he's laying a foundation for us. And I'm so excited about the next two, three, four years of ministry. I hope you're excited and I hope that as we go on this journey, you plug in and say, all right, God, use me to help people find and follow Jesus.